You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest this morning is Paul Berry. Morning, Paul. How are you, man? Morning, yes. How are you? Thanks for inviting me on. Really appreciate awesome. it. Yeah, very well. Thank you. Um, well, thank you for being with us, Paul. Um, just before we get cracking, Paul, just uh, for those that maybe aren't familiar with you and your work, um, just give a brief, brief intro around who you are and what you do. Yeah, I, um, I'll try and summarise it as best I can. It's quite a long journey. It goes back a fair number of years, sort of 20 plus years since I first started coaching. So go right back to um, when I was just about to start university really so 1997 sort of uh, back in that year moving into 1998 I did my first coaching badge which then was called the FA coaching certificate later became the traditional level two so that was something that I uh that was my first sort of venture into into formal sort of coaching qualifications I um I followed that with some voluntary work whilst ongoing with the course at a local uh, grassroots club near Chelmsford that involved Saturday morning coaching um, half term, summer holiday, uh, soccer schools, that sort of thing to, you know, get my, my hours in my logbook, um, learn from the, the coaches that were in charge of the grassroots club at the time. These were guys that had been coaching for, for some time as well. So my, my understanding of football coaching was quite limited at that time. And I basically mirrored and role modelled how those guys coached. They had quite an, an old school sort of drill-like perception of what coaching children should look like. So, of course, I, I copied that. I, I didn't know any different. Um, following that, obviously, several months later, I, I began my sports science degree. I'd come back at weekends and, and coach every Saturday morning with, with the, the grassroots club and, and then go and do some part-time work in health clubs, personal training, group fitness training. So always had a very sporty exercise science coaching sort of upbringing and background. Coached in the USA when I graduated, sort of um, three years after I started. That was um, a four-month stint in and around Ohio, Michigan, did some work in Illinois and, and Detroit. Really sort of fantastic experience to working in a different country, understanding how Americans perceived football or soccer, as they call it. Really beneficial to appreciate the difference in culture and what football means to, to people from a different uh, nation. Went on through... Uh, a variety of different courses sort of thereafter did the FA fitness trainers award in 2004, which um, as far as I'm aware, uh, it's, it's available. The content is available in different courses, but as an actual course, it got discontinued sometime after that. But to this day, it's one of my favorite courses that I did. It's an, an excellent course to enhance your knowledge in, in fitness and sport science application to football teams and, and players on and off the pitch. I was chosen as the England futsal team sports scientist not long after that, having qualified. And uh, we did a tour of Belgium in 2004 um, through, through a week of, work, of, of playing against different countries and, and providing the sports, science, um, uh, the sports science duties to the group and having to sing the national anthem before matches, that sort of thing. Brilliant experience. Um, thereafter, worked for a variety of community-based programmes, Tottenham football in the community, uh, Brazilian soccer school franchises, also worked as a tutor in local colleges in BTEP programs and carried on my work as a personal trainer. 
my first real sort of breakthrough into full-time football was with the Football Association as a skills coach in 2007. Was there for three years, three and a half years, really enjoyable role, quite community-based program with school-based coaching, worked very closely with teachers, um, covered PPA time, after-school clubs, evening programs with, with charter standard clubs as well, and, and forming that those links between um, the program and, and grassroots football. We went through a brilliant CPD program, completed all the youth award modules, was the first coach to complete what was then the module three, um, qualified as an FA tutor, delivering futsal courses and junior football organisers courses. And that takes me up to sort of 2010. I left the FA and started working for Dagenham and Redbridge as a technical coach, working with 10s to 18s. So worked with the academy groups and the youth team. Left there in 2012 to join South End initially as a part-time coach, age group coach, working with nines, then 12s, then 13s. That progressed to lead foundation phase role in 2015. Uh, fantastic education to work in, in what was my first full-time uh, position at a professional club. Really enjoyed it. I'm sure we'll go into some of the, uh, the ins and outs and specifics of what that role looked like. It's a, a fantastic club and a fantastic experience. Left there in 2017, joined Arsenal as uh, nines and tens assistant phase lead um, and in charge of the under tens as a head coach. Um, fast forward nearly four years and I'm now working for Watford as the nines and tens coach. In that time, qualified um, through both level four uh, qualifications, advanced youth award and A license. Um, yeah, that's 23, 24 years, hopefully summarised in um, as concisely way as I can. Awesome. No, 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 thank you for that, Paul. And there's a wide range of experiences, obviously, within there as well. And I guess, I, you know, I want to kind of go back to the start of it, really. What was the, you know, what was the... Yeah, you, you started, you said you got involved in coaching around university time. Um, but what was it about coaching that really kind of hooked you and thought, yeah, this is something I want to I consider? Uh, or did you just fall into it by, by accident, if you like? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, as uh, I was the classic footballer that never quite made it, you know, I was at, um, I was at South End as a kid myself, played, um, played semi-pro for some time in my late teens. Um, I think as most young lads that, that love the game, once they get to a stage where they realise that perhaps it's not going to be something that they can make a career out of, be that full-time or even in non-league, semi-professional, I think coaching is the natural progression if you, if you love and have passion for the game. My first course was quite fortunate in that it was um, my mum that spotted the, the advert in a local newspaper, the Essex Chronicle back in the day. And so she just saw an advert for it. And it was a very, very, um, it was very cheap back then compared to I think how courses are now. And she just, she, she spoke to me about it. And I, as I say, just about to start university. So I thought to try and specify in a football coaching qualification and then to go and do a, a sports science degree it i was already off and running with with some hopefully some good background and some good knowledge and and some good qualifications into my uh, my early 20s so yeah sort of half fell into it was quite fortunate that um my mum spotted the advert i'm sure i would have enrolled on a course at some stage maybe not as young as, as i was only 17 when i started um but i think when you've got a love and passion for the game and that probably came more before the, the, the teaching and coaching passion that developed thereafter it was just a love of the game and it was just another a way to be involved in the game I thought as, as I grew older and um and would hopefully have some sort of a career in it but you've got to start somewhere and that's pretty much how I began I suppose amazing and you talk, you talked a lot about you know how it's interesting I was having this conversation with someone just in the last couple of days around 
how, how we coach um, and more specifically how I coach now. And you, you mentioned there, obviously, when you were coaching, when you first started, it was very, uh, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it, old school method. Um, very much coach says you do, you know, approach and not a much, 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 much less of a collaborative approach, shall we say, than it probably um, would be widely considered to, to, to need to be today, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, what, what, what was that like coming through it? And, and at what point did you start to shift, if, if at all you have shifted in your way of working? Yeah, I think if I was to have a time machine and be able to zoom back 20 plus years and watch my, my initial coaching sort of uh, behaviour and the way that I, I delivered sessions, it would be completely polar opposites and complete opposite ends of the spectrum. I think when you're young, you're only ever going to role model um, the coaches that that you work with and that you watch coach and and the guys that at the grassroots club that I was volunteering at were very old school and it was very much drill based and very constant practice and very dictated and and command style but I didn't know any different I think I think the older I got into my early 20s and then it was probably the the full-time position at the, at the FA as a skills coach that really broadened my horizons and opened my eyes as, as to what coaching could develop into for young people and it was a foundation phase program it was, it was for five to elevens and so a huge part of the job wasn't necessarily the the football part of it it was the teaching part of it and we did a lot of work around coaching styles coaching behaviors I was fortunate enough to be selected for a research project in the third in the, sorry the second year of the program with Bruno University and that was based around uh, exploring different coaching behaviors and styles and it was the precursor to the Future Game document, which came out, I believe, in 2010. So a lot of the work we did, not necessarily around just the session planning and the actual sessions for the three uh, age phases across academies and football. It was, it was the how. It was the how to coach. So a huge amount of work around questioning, prompting, um, divergent thinking, and, and just veering away from the authoritative style of coaching and the command style of coaching, which still has a place to some extent with particular players and particular groups and for the right reasons and at the right time. But it, it was all based around improving problem solving in young people, making them more accountable, improving their sense of decision making, making them feel more um, empowered um, and, and less reliant upon the person leading the session and, and less unentitled as well. So I believe that that role for the three years I did it, and I, I put a lot of uh, emphasis on those three years working with the FA, the CPD was second to none. Um, it really opened my eyes as, as to what coaching should be. And it's, and it's not about the coach. It's all about the kids. If we can prompt thinking and, and a sense of independence and self-awareness with the kids, um, I believe we're, we're teaching them life skills as well as, as well as improving and developing in sport and in football. And I, I totally agree with it. I think for me, as much as it is about athletic development, I think a lot of it also then uh, falls back on personal development as well. Um, so I think it is about developing those life skills and, and the rest of it. I guess just on that then, what would you say, you know, how would you describe, I guess, the fundamentals of your own coaching philosophy then? Yeah, um, it's, it's hard really because my, my coaching philosophy isn't necessarily about principles of play. I mean, I've got an idea of, and I think we all know what sort of football we love to watch. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm 
sure I'm fairly comparative in that I love to watch attacking, flowing football, playing out from the back, starting the attack, the Man City, Barcelona way of playing from, from several years ago. I love that type of football and creative decision-making players. But as a philosophy myself, um, to link into coaching, I use the, the acronym GOAL, so G-O-A-L. The G stand for game-related. I think as much as possible, our sessions should involve games, and that isn't necessarily... Um, a football game that could be a, a, a game that the, the players perceive to be competitive. Is there anything from a 3v3 upwards that has um, territory to attack and defend, is directional, is competitive, has a point system, albeit that might not just be a goal-related point system. There could be points offered for creativity or specific ways of playing or, or particular football actions. So the G stands for game-related. The O stands for ownership. So that's for me personally, as a coach, that if I feel that having delivered the session and I'm reflecting upon it and things didn't go perhaps the way that I planned, I would always look at myself first. Did I deliver the session in the right way? Did I offer as much um, ownership to the players as possible? So I would review and reflect myself first before looking at the players, but then the O for ownership could stand or relate to the players themselves. So the players can take ownership in that in that instance as well. Did they apply themselves in the right way? Did they prepare for the, the match on the Sunday for the club in the right way? The, the A stands for athlete-centred or to be more specific, probably child-centred. So I always try and, when I plan, put them at the forefront of my thinking, the forefront of my learning, of their learning. Um, I, I look at what questions are going to prompt thinking from them. How can I empower them? How can I put them in charge of particular aspects of the session? Can they be responsible for area sizes, area shapes, um, point systems, the, the constraints within the games? Can, can we put as much trust in them as possible? And then the L stands for long-term development and, and life skills. So long-term development, thinking that when I'm working with a group of nines or tens, I am always thinking about what that journey might be end up looking like in five or six years time so I try and watch the 16s I try and watch the 18s at the clubs I've been at um, where possible can you get those players to come and talk to the young players we had um, a really good um, way of working at Arsenal in that several years ago we had a, a process where some of the 16s would spend time with um, the under nines and it wasn't a formal mentoring process in any way it was just spending time with them and, and helping them in sessions and doing some arrival activities with them but that's great for both ends. That's great for the 16s to have that sense of um, developing their leadership skills and their communication skills. It's brilliant for the little ones to see what that journey looks like seven, eight years down the line, and that could be them. So I always have that sense of long-term development at the forefront of my mind. And, but then life skills. I think life skills is, is so, so important with young players. So I try and empower them with feelings of patience, honesty, resilience, um, work ethic and, and not being polite using their their um their pleases and their thank yous and i think if you can try and develop those life skills in young people i've seen it i, I do think it has a correlation to, to improving um as an athlete and as a young young sports person as well because you're just trying to breed and provoke um good people and, and good citizens in their local communities as, the, as they get older so whether that's a philosophy or, or just some thoughts, that's just the way that I, I approach coaching and, and life generally now, I think. No, no I think, it's, I think it's, uh, it's refreshing to hear. And I think even for myself, like, you know, 
people often ask me, well, what's your coaching philosophy? And I think, so, well, in actual fact, my coaching philosophy has got nothing to do with the way I want my team to play. Yeah. It's got absolutely nothing to be. In fact, I don't even have a third way playing playing style. As long as, it, it, I, I guess, it sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but I just want my players to do the right thing at the right time and in the right moment. Um, 100%. I think, I think your playing philosophy is often dictated by the players that you've got, whether you're a coach um, with an under-9s grassroots team or you're working with an academy under-16s team. Of course, if you're an academy, there often is a, a way that they want you to play, um, but you are dictated by the players that you've got, I think, and the way that and the, and the skill set that they've got. And I think it's a little bit of both. And there has to be thinking across both. And communication is a two-way process, of course. But you're right. I think um, it, it is it is down to the players, really. A hundred percent. And I guess, you know, in terms of the coaching philosophy piece itself, like, I think it's really important to kind of go with what you're saying in terms of that long-term development piece and the life skills piece. Because I think... With the long-term development stuff, it, it is important to understand the landscape of the full journey, if you like. Whereas I think a lot of coaches are very limited in their understanding of what that full journey looks like. And they're very much specialised or focused, if you like, on one particular phase or one particular part of the journey, which is not necessarily a bad thing. However, you should, I think it is very important and I think integral to have an understanding of either if you're, as an example, a 12s coach, you need to know, well, what's the 10s and the 11s looking like coming into the 12s? And what is the 13s and 14s looking like coming out of the 12s? Um, so that you know what you're maybe potentially inheriting and where you want to potentially be leading them to. So I think that that bit's really important. But I think one thing that's really, uh, I guess, um, stood out for me with your journey is you spent a lot of time working with those younger players in the foundation phase mainly. Why is that? Have you had any ambitions of working outside of the foundation phase or is it just, do you consider yourself a bit more of a, a specialist and more suited to the foundation phase? Because this is another challenge a lot of coaches have, you see, in that for, for, for different reasons, uh, sometimes it's down to the money, sometimes it's down to uh, the fact that you're probably more likely to get full-time work at, with an older, older groups and older players. Um, sometimes it's that... There's a, there's a, there's, the coaching just looks different and it's a different type of coaching that's required as you get as you get older um, and vice versa as you get younger it looks different as well um, what was that for you or, or, or did you just find yourself not really knowing where you wanted to end up and then you found a role that you thought actually no I just, I'm just quite passionate about this aspect of it yeah great question it was the vast majority of my experience is working with, with youngsters 5 to 11s mainly sort of 8 to 11s really um, in the foundation phase, I do consider myself to be a specialist now at the age that I'm at, having worked in the phase for as long as I have. I have worked in the 11-11 game, so I've, I've worked when I was at Southend part-time. I had a, a group of, of 12s going 13, so we did a lot of 9v9 in that season, progressing to 11v11 in the Christmas um, thereafter of that particular season. Kept them for the 13 season before I was only off with the full-time position. So I've um, and obviously doing the A licence, which is very heavily 11v11 specific, so my knowledge, my tactical knowledge and appreciation is at, is at a high level, but my, my passion is working with younger players, whether that's, that's just the way that I think and the creative mind that I've got um, and, and the enthusiasm that you see in young ones is, 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 um, is immense. The, the times that I've worked with older ones, particularly in academies, um, I feel that 
when you're working with 15s and 16s, and this isn't always the case, but you might be working with boys that have been at that particular club since they were six or seven. So they've been at the club for, for 10 plus years. And of course, the familiarity of being in that environment over that sustained length of time, their enthusiasm and, and motivation perhaps isn't going to be at the level of a seven, eight, nine-year-old that's at right at the beginning of their journey. Um, and they're driving into Tottenham's training ground, Chelsea's training ground, Hale End, Arsenal's training ground, and they're completely overwhelmed and, um, and motivated and excited by those environments. And of course, they're, they're brilliant places to work at. So I think the, the passion I've seen in youngsters in the foundation phase fills me with enthusiasm as well. Um, and, and that's, I think, why I've, I've ended up specialising in this phase because it's they're like little sponges, the youngsters, aren't they? And however you want to work with them, they just want to learn. They just want to improve and they want to have fun. And if you yourself are having a tough time you know, away from football or away from work in your personal life, to put on a session for a group of seven, eight-year-olds for even 45 minutes to an hour, you can end up on the back of that session feeling so much better about yourself. And um, and they're brilliant in that way, kids. They, they can change your mindset in the space of a short, in a short space of time. And um, and I feed off that, I think, as a coach. And, and I just really enjoy their their love of the game and, and, and their motivation and enthusiasm, I think. I, t- I totally agree with that. But I think the only thing I'd say is that you talk there about they want to learn, they want to have fun, they want to just enjoy it, and and, and it's okay. Do you think that's specific to the younger players? So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was having this conversation with someone the other day when I was just saying that for me, it's not, um, it, it's a lot, um, it can be considered easier at the younger ages uh, to get them to do things and just find joy in, joy in it. I think the challenge comes with uh, the older players as you as you come through as you come through the age groups is, is not so much them not wanting them not finding it fun anymore, but more specifically you finding the right pieces for the jigsaw that keep it fun. If you like, um, what gets them ticking? Is it you know what parts of the the sessions or what parts of the games are they really? Have they really built an emotional attachment to that's going to uh, invoke some more positive reactions from them? And I think that that's the piece where I think they still want to have fun. They still want to enjoy it. They still want to learn, but it just looks different. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even thinking of as recent as the, the back end of the season just gone, just did some work with the 15s at Watford. Um, only a small group of players because some of them were involved in a game. And, and I was thinking in my mind, do I change the way my persona in any great way? Do I change the, the, the language that I'm using? Um, I believe I was putting on just a, a short sort of arrival activity, warm up into some technical work. I thought, no, I'm just going to act in the same way that I would do if I was working with under eights, under nines. And I'm going to be very, very lively, very, very positive, have a um, very uplifting body language and the way that I talk to the boys and, and the practices I put on were, were ones that I put on with eight and nine year olds. And you know what? These are 15, 14, 15 year old lads, so a lot older. They absolutely loved it. And they just were competitive. They were having fun, bantered with each other. But of course, the level that they applied themselves at was at a higher intensity and technical standard than it would have been with seven, eight, nine year olds. But the practices were pretty much identical. So you're right. We, we shouldn't always think about tailoring football practices for foundation phase through to youth development to professional development phase thinking they've got to look markedly different. I think, of course, when you're working in 
more tactical based sessions, phases of play, old school functions, if, if you like, and, and half pitch attack versus defense games on playing principles, of course, it becomes a little bit more strategic and more playing principle based. But a huge part of the emphasis of working with older ones should always be on that fun element as well. Um, and so working in the foundation phase does give you that head start as to being creative and asking divergent questions that prompt more than one answer and multiple ways of solving problems. Um, yeah, I don't think you should have to change it in any great way. Um, but you're right. The older ones, of course, they want to have fun as well. They're not ones that, that believe it. Football just should be 100% serious all the time. I think if you can work like that with them in the early stages of a session, when you do get to the more, if you want, serious parts and strategic parts of the session, I think you're more likely to, to get buy-in from them and, and more, you're more likely to get them on side anyway because they can see that you're there to deliver fun and, and creative work with them. So that, that's my experience anyway, working across the different phases. Mm. No, thank you for that. And I guess, like I said, you know, a lot of your experiences have been within the foundation phase. So I guess from your experiences working and you consider yourself a specialist now, so what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've kind of learned um, with working with players from those age groups? I think the biggest lesson isn't necessarily the players themselves. I think the biggest lesson is the parents. I think when you work with, with very young players, more often than not, the parents are going to be quite young themselves. So they could be parents that, if they're young parents particularly, they could be, you know, anything from very early 20s to mid-20s. And, and if, as a coach, you're, you're far older than them, I think your part of your duty is to educate them and to be very, very transparent with them, whether that's in a grassroots setting or an academy environment, as to almost to just to cull their expectations a little bit because they're going to be very excitable. They're going to have huge expectations of their son, again, particularly in the environments that I've worked at in Cat 1 academies. They're going to expect everything. They're going to uh, dispute things when, when things aren't going right. They're going to uh, question why this player's playing up or this player's training up and their son isn't. I think when I first started at Arsenal four years ago, the particular group I had um, did have a very challenging set of parents and, and most weeks um, across the season, I was in, in meetings with this parent and then the next week it was with this parent just because of the, the way that they've been educated through, through perhaps their pre-academy journey is to what the expectations were. And perhaps they, they were sold a bit of a dream. Um, and then when they get passed on into the academy at nines and tens, you've got to give them a bit of realism and, and realise that it's a long-term journey. And these boys, if they are going to get anywhere near the youth team and the first team, it's going to be eight, 10, 12 years. That's even if they do make it. So I think my biggest learning came at the start or even the tail end of one season, progressing into the following one. You've got to be so honest with the parents and to deliver educational workshops with them and sit them down um, in the classroom and go through the programme and, and be as honest as possible around retain and release, for example, and and their pitch side behaviour, how they communicate with their children, how they communicate with us as staff. I think that put me in a really more positive and beneficial position to then um, be able to deal with any challenging moments that came later. You could always refer back to the education that you offered them some months prior to that. Um, that really helped me, I think, as I, as I grew through my journey at Arsenal and, and even at Southend as well. 
yeah, I'd say the biggest learning in education is certainly the parents, perhaps more so than, than the players themselves. Definitely. One of the things you did touch on there was, you know, the, I guess the age and, uh, and the understanding for the parents. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What would you advise me to maybe some of those coaches who are a lot younger than us? You know, I, I, I'm sure you've seen it yourself. More and more the years go by, I guess the landscape of coaches seems to be getting younger. Yeah, um, they're coming in at younger ages. They, they, uh, you know, with all the enthusiasm in the world, but they maybe don't have the same level of life experience, um, and are maybe not understanding maybe how to lead that conversation with a parent, especially if you've got a parent who's potentially is older than you yourself. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really good point. I think when you uh, when these young coaches go through their initial coaching journey, and I believe the the level one is now an online course, so you're even taking away a bit of the, the pitch sort of coaching face-to-face -face emphasis of it. And in my experience, there's there's zero education in the FA courses and the ones that I've done around how to deal with parents. But as a coach and as a young coach, it's, it's just as important as the content of a session that you're delivering. So if I think back, and, I, and again, I'm able to zoom back, and if I was to have a, a conversation with my younger self, it would be that to listen to listen far, far more than you talk. I believe that when you talk, you're only repeating stuff that you already know. You're not going to be talking about stuff that you don't know because you don't know it. It's that almost unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you, what you don't know or what you're not very knowledgeable in. So my advice to young coaches would be to, to, to watch, to, to not just co-deliver, but to, to support the work of older, more experienced coaches listen 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 far far more than you talk um that would be my advice i think and yeah young coaches can be very knowledgeable in the game particularly if they're they're, they're existing players as well can have high knowledge of playing principles and formations and tactics but the parent aspect of it and the 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 connecting with players aspect of it for me eclipses the x's and the o's and it's far far more important but you're only going to learn that through experience i don't think you know that as a young coach and particularly through the, the educational pathway. So get a mentor, spend time with older coaches and older people um, and find out about how to, to communicate, how to socialize, how to engage and how to interact. The X's and the O's comes later. It's the, 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 the personable um, 
social aspect of it that that for me um, takes precedent and that's just the case of young one young people spending time with, with older more experienced coaches i believe definitely so you know you, you talk a lot about your coaching journey um one of the things you didn't mention is you're also an author yeah so this goes back to probably well well i think when i first became a parent and a I remember as a kid, I was very, very interested in stories. I, I loved English as a kid. I took English uh, language and, and English, English literature as, uh, as GCSEs. And I was always very engaged and interested in stories and, and creative writing and, and thinking up plots and storylines and characters. But becoming a parent when, um, of, of, of young children that, that you want to be inquisitive and be curious about life and and my, my two daughters love picture books and stories. And so for the last 10, 12 years, I've read them a story pretty much every night that I'm able to. And I, and I, I make sure that's something that, that I, I try and spend, I try and put aside time to do, even when I've been out coaching or I get back late, if they're still up, I'd always try and read them a story, even if it's a five or 10 minutes or get them to read as well. I think it's really, really important to detach from the day and, and to, uh, to, to really sort of breed some creative thinking in young people and to uh, have some escapism. So as far as my own writing, I go back to the start of um, the first lockdown, so March of, of 2020, and I just started jotting some ideas down, just some plots. Um, I love rhyming stories. So all the Julia Donaldson uh, books, Gruffalo, Highway Rap, you know, all those stories that the kids love and have been made into sort of a TV uh, animations as well and I just started writing down some ideas about potential characters and I try to follow that that line of uh, introducing a, um, a relatable character all my characters in my stories are animals I think kids love the um, the link for to, to humanizing animal characters that have um, human traits um, so introducing a relatable motivational character highlighting their passion in life what they want to achieve what their motivation is throwing in some type of obstacle that they've got to overcome um, to breed some some thinking and some some resilience within that particular character then the resolution of that problem whether that's something that they overcome themselves or with the help of some some friends within the story then ultimately the the moral at the end and in all the stories that i've written in the last well, near enough 18 months and i've had two books published i've got three more to to publish within the next 12 months pretty much the next one I'm hopeful going to bring out um, at the beginning of next year. I think it's important that at the end of that um, that cycle of the things that I've mentioned there, there's there's a moral that's relatable at the end. Um, that the parent reading the story and the child listening to it can relate to their own life as well. So it's not just a story for story's sake. I think the the plot lines and the characters I've written about in the last year and a half can relate to young people's lives and can relate to, to parents' um, education of those young people as well. And if you can, if you can put that in a, in a colorful picture book with, with beautiful, colorful, vivid imagery and drawings, and I've been very fortunate, fortunate enough to work with some excellent illustrators as well and formatters that help put the book together and make it an ebook and make it a paperback book to sell on Amazon. Um, it's just a nice little side venture really. And the books have been really, really well received. I've, I've sold far, far many more copies than I thought I would. I anticipated that it would be a few copies sold to family and friends. And it was just a case of when I started having at the end of it, 
an actual book to hold in my hands to show my kids and, and, and show to them that I'd written this and for them to feel proud of me. So for it to have been as so well received as it has been has, has blown my mind a little bit really and has made me want to write more and, and bring out more books over the next year or so. And I think that's incredible. It's a phenomenal thing to kind of be able to do that. And just, you know, there's a piece of you uh, available for everyone now, really, isn't there? Um, and I, I, yeah, I can right. really relate to that. And it, it's a kind of similar to how I started the podcast. You know, I started last year at the beginning of lockdown. Um, my story's slightly different. And I was, bo- I was boring my missus to, uh, you know, <laughs> doing her head in. And she just basically, you've had this idea for the podcast. Go and do it. Leave me alone. Um, and and the rest is history. But you know, I think it is. It's, it's a it's a phenomenal thing that you're doing, and I, um, I, I hope that you know over the next twelve months you get those three books complete, and and there's, there's a whole collection of them, man. So yeah, I guess this, if- this was always the plan. To I mean, the, the books that um, the girls have got, um, they're, they're series. There's like 10, 12 different stories, yeah. and maybe whether that's a little bit outside of my reach, and if I've got the time to do it, hopefully I have. Um, but yeah, to, to have three, four, five, six books at the end of this particular sort of journey, if you like, is going to be really exciting. And, and they're all up on the shelf in my daughter's room alongside the, as I say, the Julia Donaldson, the Rachel Bright books, the Rob Biddle books. So when you see those so, so um, well-established authors and, and mm. stories alongside my own, it does fill you with a little bit of pride. And particularly when, the, when you ask the kids what, what book do they want on that night and they, and they say my one, yeah um, and they still ask for them and the, the boys in the academies i've worked out are, are still um sending me pictures the parents are still sending me pictures of, of the boys reading the books um yeah it's a really really fun and exciting sort of part of what i do really it's amazing that's amazing paul so i guess you know paul just you know coming back to your own coaching journey then what would you say has been your biggest challenge today yeah i think my biggest challenge is it's been the last five months, the last, yeah, nearly six months when I left Arsenal um, in the middle of February of this year, which came completely out of the blue. Um, was given no indication that this was what was going to happen. I've been there for nearly four years. Um, Arsenal was always the pinnacle of what I wanted to achieve as a young coach. So I think when going back to the, the thoughts and, and motivation of what a young coach has, I, I would say that most coaches want to, at some stage in their career, work full-time in a football club. If they're they're passionate for coaching and their their, their need to want to help young people is at a level to do it on a full-time basis at whatever club they want to work at. And I've been through that journey. I've been through the Centre of Excellence journey even before the academy system was introduced and EPPP was introduced. I've worked part-time age group coach. I've worked full-time at Cat 3. I've had interviews at Cat 1s and not quite made it. I've had multiple rejections and disappointments as a young coach and going back to when I was um, doing voluntary work and I remember writing emails to clubs and um, expressing my interest to sort of do some voluntary work or some part-time work and and not getting any replies or the ones that I did it was always unfortunately this unfortunately that we've not got um, vacancies and and even interviews that I got as a young coach I was rejected more times than I was employed so to get the job at Arsenal in 2017, I almost felt in my mind that that was the end of the journey and I'd reached the pinnacle of what I'd wanted to achieve, to work full-time, at a category one Premier League football club, global football club, world-renowned football club. 
I didn't really feel in those first couple of seasons that well, what's my progression here? But I was at the time, I was probably a bit blinkered by it. And I was probably thinking, this is me sorted now. I'm going to be under, under nine's coach at Arsenal indefinitely. Of course, I had aspirations to, to progress um, into a more senior role. And whether I've had, had to have been at Arsenal for, for many more years to get more, um, to build my reputation more, to get more experience. But, but to then lose my job in the way that I did, um, that's my biggest challenge. That what I've had to, to deal with in the last five months um, and to step out of that environment, as I say, to, and which was totally unexpected to then feel, I've almost got to start again a little bit. Mm. Um, what do I do? And yeah. those initial few weeks and couple of months following that, and it was my decision to step out of the football club. They, they offered me the chance to, to carry on working to the end of the season, which I didn't take. Came out of the football club. And of course, I'm in a great position as far as my knowledge, my qualifications, my experience, um, which far eclipses perhaps what I would have been in a position, say, even five or ten years ago. But it was more, what do I do? Um, it was a very difficult, well, it still is a difficult moment. Um, I was very, very fortunate enough to be invited into Watford some two weeks after that. I know some of the guys there, and that's been a hugely enjoyable experience so far. Some brilliant people at Watford, um, a couple of lads that I knew from previous courses that I'd done and, um, and, and tutors that I had on, on certain courses there at the football club now. And they, they treated me so, so well. And it's reinvigorated me and it's, 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 it's um, ignited my passion back for coaching again to, to feel valued. I think when you don't feel valued within your workplace or at the football club you're working at, it clearly isn't the right place for you anymore. So I don't have any regrets. I, I hold my head really, really high through that experience. And um, I leave behind Arsenal um, some great moments, great experiences. But yeah, it's time to move on. Um, not quite sure yet the, the position to move into. So this right now, this period that I'm in at the moment is, is without a doubt my biggest challenge, I'd say. And, you know, you're talking about it being the biggest challenge and it being unexpected. And I guess without going into too much detail, what, what, what would you say are... What would you say are ways that we should can prepare for the unexpected, if you like? I mean, is it a case of, you know... You, of, you mentioned there you you felt like you've hit the pinnacle and that you know this is where the journey was not not essentially where the journey was going to end. Um, is there a bit of you that feels that maybe the mindset at that time and the, or going into that situation was one of right? You've almost manifested that this is where the journey is going to end. So it's, it's almost got to a point where it hasn't ended in the way that you wanted it to. In, in some ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it was my decision to step away at the point that I did. Um, whether I, I felt that my, my work there was, was done, I think you always evolve as a coach. And the role that I was in, I was always going to then um, take on the next cohort of nines or tens, whichever of those two roles I was working in. So it was always going to differ slightly. And it was always going to challenge me more as a coach because you're working with a different set of players different personalities, many, 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 many more than different parents and sets of parents to work with as well. So the job itself was going to differ a little bit from season to season, but obviously coming away from the football club and then reevaluating and taking stock of, of where I need to go next 
it has it has reinvigorated me to some extent as well it's probably taken the months that it has done to this point talking to you today to feel that way um the the networking i've had to do the connections that i've done into leadership and managerial skills and the books i've read and the papers i've read and um, and the thoughts i've got at the football club so i do feel a position now where i can offer um i can offer myself as a, as a specialist in the age groups that i work with to my next club or whatever my next role would be at a much more positive in a much more positive frame of mind than perhaps i would have done when i started at arsenal with my knowledge now and my my thirst for learning to better myself is at a much higher level than it would have been perhaps if i'd stayed there it only takes someone to come out of their environment to to think right what do i need to do next what do i need to improve my knowledge in what do i need to improve my my passion and knowledge for so yeah to, to perhaps feel that if i was there that was the end of the journey whether it was complacency or not i, I don't know um but i don't regret it um i'm in a good position right now um so yeah the the, the next step for me i'm going to be in a good position to, to offer offer myself as a as a knowledgeable coach awesome and you know you're talking about some of your challenges and some of the some of the, and i guess some of the reflections that you've had in your journey there what would you say is maybe the, the high the, mm. I don't want to put it down really you see, you see that obviously going to arsenal was the pinnacle hasn't worked out the way you wanted to essentially um but what would you say is one of the biggest positives from your time not at arsenal but just as a coach generally of course you know if you have to reflect back on your journey now what would you say is the most proudest moment of yours wow proudest moment i think it's hard to nail down a single single moment of course the there's a lot of pride when you when you see a young player progress through through the system through through the program so having been involved in academy football for for 12 12 years or so now i'm still getting messages and uh, and contacts from from parents and young people that i worked with when they were nine or ten so these kids are now playing 21s 23s football um a couple of lads at south end who i worked with when they were under 11s you know they're playing either non-league or they've couple of lads have played first team football and uh, international football as well. And they still um, send me a, a message on social media. Um, I think that fills me with the most pride because it's all well and good putting smiles on faces in, in the moment and in the here and the now. But when you're still remembered after 10, 10 plus years by a particular person, be that the parent or the player or both, and they still they still remember how they how you made them feel then that's a, that's a, an unbelievable feeling the fact they've not forgotten how how you as a coach made them feel when they were eight nine or ten and these are kids in their early 20s now that's my biggest pride because that's almost like a small legacy that you've left with that particular person and then they still remember you and they still remember the fun times and the way that you helped them mm. and these are outfield players goalkeepers as well i was never a goalkeeping coach for example but um uh, the particular goalkeepers that contact me, one in particular, said that I I put so much value on them as a player, and I, I never separated them from the rest of the group, as some, as he says, some coaches did in the time after I worked with him. So I wasn't doing that intentionally; it's just the way that I was. Mm. It's just separating them as as a person, and and not feeling that the goalkeeping department and program was set the outfield program I tried to link it all together as best I could to make them feel part of the team and 
and value them as, as, a, as a person within the group. And this was like, yeah, seven, eight, nine years ago. And they still re- remember me now. So I think that's, that's the most pride you can have as a coach mm. for, for those people to still remember you. hundred percent. You know, I, I think back to my own coaching journey, you know, when I first started out about 12 years ago and I was working with a group of under 15s and some of them still are still in contact with me now. And then I think as time's gone on, obviously they're a lot older now. It's almost, yeah, I'll always be their coach. But I think some of some of them we're probably friends now, which is um, which is yeah. incredible, and it, it 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 does it does give you a great feeling. So you know we talk about positive feelings there, and I'm interested now. You know we've all got them, um, all all of us, regardless of what, what level we're working at, and you know you with a number of years under your belt as a coach. Now, what would you say is one of your biggest bugbears when it comes to coaching? Ego, hundred percent ego. Simple, um, and that's not just in in Cat One. All that I've experienced when I was at South End, um, even when I was at Grassroots, it's it's ego, always. That's coaches' ego, parents' ego. I mean, I even went to a uh, a Grassroots tournament two or three weeks ago. Just did a little bit of talent ID, just to um, just do some to do some scouting, and it's the first tournament I've been at grassroots tournament for maybe five years or so um i was completely taken aback by the behavior of the parents from the sidelines um completely dumbfounded by some of the things that they were saying shouting at their kids um being abusive towards the referees um speaking ill of the coach to the parent stood beside them or even shouting directly at the coach um i knew that the pitch line, pitch side behaviour from parents is, is still a thing in football in this country, but not to that extent. And it, these were under sevens and under eights playing. And that's the parents' ego talking. That's the coach's ego when I see it as well. And these coaches that think that they're working with eight, nine-year-old kids or even some of the older age groups, and they think they're Pep Guardiola. They think they're Jose Mourinho. They think they're Jurgen Klopp. They need to get over themselves. It's not about them. It's not about them but they make it want to be about them by some of the way, way that these, these people act. And it's not acceptable. It's not. They want it to be about them and to all the eyes to be on them and to put across what brilliant coach they are and what brilliant developer they are. But they're doing it for themselves a lot of the time. And I'm, I don't want to generalise because there are some brilliant coaches that I've seen in grassroots and academy football as well, some fantastic coaches, really, really good coaches that do it for the right reasons. But there are still a minority out there that perhaps aren't in it for the right reasons. So that without doubt has got to be my biggest bugbear. Um, and whether that's them as people or it's just ignorance, lack of education, there needs to be something done about it. Surely there needs to be something done about it to, uh, to educate these people that this isn't how you act around children. I, t- I totally agree. You know, I've come across those sorts of people in the past as well. It's, it's, quite, sh- it's quite shocking at times. Like, it's like almost... You love to see the passion, but it's just very misplaced. Yeah, well, that's why I, I say that it, it might not be them deliberately trying to act yeah. in that way. It could be ignorance that, that um, and their emotions overtake mm. their thoughts. And I always think that if if they could see themselves acting yeah. the way that they do, more often than not, they'd probably be quite shocked. Yeah. Or they'd say things that they perhaps even not even realised that they'd said. Yeah. Um, they're not always bad, you know, bad people. These these individuals that act in that way. I totally agree. They get totally overtaken by the moment, and their passion for, for wanting the best for their child overtakes 
most of the eclipses, um, the way that they're, they're acting or the way that they should act. Um, but that's part of the education that they clearly need. I totally agree. And I think, you know, I, I, you know I've just said, in, you know, in my, in, almost, in my almost 12 years of coaching, I've never once met a parent who I think is, um, doesn't have the best of intentions. Whether that, that manifests itself in their behaviours is obviously a separate conversation. And that, that's something that, like I said, you know, through education that can be addressed and developed. So I guess, you know, coming back to, coming back to you now, um, as we start to, you know, look, to wind down, if you can, you, you mentioned it briefly earlier, you, you, you kind of alluded to it, but if you had the opportunity to kind of go back, knowing what you know now, what would be one thing that you've learned in the last 20 odd years that you would think, right, this is a message that a young Paul Barry coming into coaching must know? Yeah. So I've mentioned about the, the, the listening more than you talk. Yeah. I think that's quite a, um, a generic piece of advice to younger coaches. To be specific to myself, I think we'd have to be to to go back and tell myself to accept that there's going to be far many more disappointments and rejections than there are going to be successes. Mm. To enjoy the success when it eventually comes, but it's that it's that process and it's that mm. that journey where you learn more than you perhaps you do when you reach the the end goal and the outcome. So, I've, and again, my, my recent sort of um, journey in the last few months has, has mirrored some of the early disappointments I had when I was young and, and did, did get a lot of these rejections from clubs and, and job offers, et cetera. So um, I'd go back and say that a rejection isn't, isn't a rejection. It's a redirection. Whatever it was, wasn't meant to be, as it is for me right here, right now. Um, that in itself is a more positive word. A redirection means that that, that opportunity perhaps over the long term wasn't the right the right move for you it also um, i think it would indicate that the wheels are still in motion 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. overcoming obstacles is the most important thing for a person and that's why i like to write the stories that i do as well because you always come out of it at the back end of it a far better person for it um, and the next time you have a, a difficult moment or an obstacle to overcome you've got that in that You've then got that experience of what to do. Um, that's the same for coaches. That's the same for people um, in all walks of life. And it's definitely the same for young players as well. Um, I'd say learn from everyone that you work with. And that's not just the positives. You can learn from people that you don't believe that their working practices are how you would want to work because you learn that that's perhaps not how you want to do it. So there's loads of learning that can go with working alongside everyone that you come into contact with. Um, this isn't one thing, by the way, is it? It's probably, <laughs> this is probably multiple things, but they all link, I think. They all, they all link. Um, ultimately, the, the anything that you can control is yourself. Um, try to avoid becoming frustrated with other people's behaviours and actions because you can't control them. It's easy to be frustrated and irritated by things that are outside of your control. But I think the older and the more mature and the more experienced you get, I accept them now. I deal with them because the only thing that I can deal with is the way that I react and respond in a positive way. Um, I suppose to, to consolidate all that is just never give up. Never, ever give up. Um, keep going, whether that's as a footballer, whether that's um, as a coach, whether that's as an author, whatever the case may be. If you give up, that's failure. That's, that's it. Failure is giving up. Failure is not making mistakes. Failure is not encountering encountering difficult moments failure is giving up so never do it 
and you'd always come out of that uh, situation a better person for it, I'd say. Awesome. And speaking of uh, becoming a better person, what's next for Paul Barry? You know, you've had a range of experiences, both as a coach, um, working in coach development in the past as well, and obviously now being an author. Um, yeah. What's next for you? Yeah, what's next? Uh, it's an exciting time for me in the, um, I'm, I'm still trying to work this out. What I've done in recent weeks is I've developed um, a series of workshops and coach education presentations for, for grassroots clubs, for, for independent training providers. I've been out on the road delivering those already. So that's been really exciting. Um, and I've tried to, within these presentations and these workshops, basically consolidate the last 20 plus years of, of knowledge and coaching and working in the environments that I have. And they're very much foundation phase specific about how children learn, about how to deal with, with behavior, how to manage groups, how to design sessions and frameworks and curriculums. So the presentations and the workshops that I'm doing right now um, um, are really exciting. I'm, I'm rolling them out to, to, to coaches and, and to providers and to programs, putting on sessions at the end of it as well for the staff within those, those environments and, and those uh, programs. So that's something that I want to continue. And that's only just in the last sort of a uh, couple of weeks been up and running. I'm looking for my next move. Obviously into full-time football. Um, I believe the age that I'm at and the experience and knowledge that I've got, um, a senior role for me isn't is within my is within my control, whether that's a head of coaching role, an academy manager role as I get a little bit older. But that's the confidence I now have in myself. Um, the roles that I've done in, in my previous clubs and the work that I've I've uh, I've done in those, those previous clubs. I've got to be confident now that um, where I pitch my next move, it's going to be high end. It's going to be elite level because I do have total faith and confidence in myself. Um, but I'm going to keep going and um, and just see see what happens next, really. Awesome, Paul. Well, look, Paul, I wish you all the best with that. You know, and, and I'm sure I'm sure you will find that you know that ideal role that you're looking for. And I'm sure you will continue to have a massive impact on the people that you come into contact with. And just on, on that note, then, you know, if there was any listeners or viewers out there, that, you know, have, have, I guess, listened or seen our discussion today and wanted to maybe take things a little bit further and find out a little bit more about your journey and anything we've discussed in this conversation, is there somewhere they can get in touch with to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Hopeful that perhaps the um, those those that contact information can be rolled out, obviously with, with with the show notes, for example. But I I embrace people uh, contacting me. Um, I love helping people. So the people that contact me generally are younger coaches that that see things that I post around um, learning, around session design, around um, behavioural management. And if they want help, I'm, I'd always always put aside time for it. Because I think back to when I was a young coach, I'm sort of similar to yourself that when you uh, when you see work being done by older people, that older, more experienced coaches that you want to learn from, if they're accepting of your your engagement with them, then then you're going to build new friendships, new connections. Um, so I'd always put time aside to help young younger coaches and even uh, experienced existing coaches that want to perhaps learn a bit more about the way that I think and approach coaching. So they're the two platforms, I'd say Twitter and LinkedIn for, um, for people to contact me and find out more. Awesome. I'm sure I'll be sure to maybe share those, uh, those, those bits of information in the show notes as well. But Paul, look, um, it's, been a, it's been a fascinating conversation for me. I'm you know, really, really interested in, in knowing more. So I'm hopefully going to connect further. But 
you've given us a real depth, um, a real good depth of, of insight around your journey, your experiences and some of the challenges you face. And um, who knows, it might be, you know, this might be the next JK Rowling in, in the making. Um, yeah, a few people have said that. You know, if I could be the, the first uh, football coach slash um, children's picture picture book author and to, to link the two together, I mean, that's That'd a nice that's a nice yeah. little um, occupation to, to, to pursue. And um, yeah, it's exciting. 100%. And I wish you all the best with that. Um, yes. uh, we'll be expecting a signed copy for all our listeners as well. 100%. 100%. Once the, the third one's out, and as I say, um, it's written, it's all ready to go. Just need to get it illustrated and formatted and brought out early New Year. Um, yeah, signed copy coming your way for amazing, sure. Amazing. Well, look, Paul, look, thank you again for your time this morning. It's been incredible. Um, and, I, and I wish you all the best for your journey. And I'm sure we'll stay in touch and, and hopefully develop things further. Yeah. Yes. Thanks so much for the invite. You, you do a fantastic job on, on the podcast. You've got obviously 100 plus episodes under your belt. You've had some amazing guests. So keep up the good work. You're doing, you're doing a fantastic job. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.